Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 11 of the Fly Route Podcast. I am your host, Anthony, a.k.a. Tony Playboy, a.k.a. Drew Breezy, a.k.a. Nature Valley Ribs, and I'm joined here today by one of my best friends, Demarcus, a.k.a. is stuffing, not dressing, a.k.a. nigga Marcus. How you doing today? I'm doing great. You know, uh, Cowboys got to win this week. There is now a really solid chance they can still win the division and make the playoffs, which is wild. Well, not even getting ahead of myself. The win means more, more likely than not, they cannot be worse than the Jets. So there's no number one draft pick, which means Dak's coming back, which is what I want. Okay, okay. So now it's their year. I'm not saying it's their year. It's just it's not not their year. What does that even mean, nigga? There's a, there's a chance. That's all I'm saying. Look, <laughs> we aren't in video yet, but I want everybody to know DeMarcus came in here today with the Cowboys drip. Fresh white hat. He might have bought it on his way here. No, 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 no. I've had it for a while. I just don't break it out very often. Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> Try to keep it clean for when, I, when we celebrate, you know. You feel it yourself, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Look, a win is a win. All right. What do you think about Clemson coach Dabo Sweeney saying Florida State used COVID as an excuse to not play them because they were afraid? There is some truth there. From what I understand about the situation, there was a, I want to say, backup lineman for Clemson who tested positive, but I think was already in quarantine when that test came back or something like that. No one else on the team was at risk, and Clemson was ready. They showed up at Florida, ready to go, get off the bus. Florida's like, we good. Wait, they got all the way there? They were there, ready to play the the game. Yes. This happened like the morning of. As far as I understand, I could be wrong, but my my understanding so far is it happened the morning of. They showed up. That backup lineman tested positive. His test came back that morning, but they had already known there was something possible there. They followed all the protocols. They everything that they were supposed to do, they did. So basically, you think Florida State pussy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, in other COVID news, what do you think about the fact that the NFL has finally, finally, going into week 12, mandated that players and everybody on the sidelines wear a mask? This, this should have happened in week, week one. We've been, we've been saying this on the Fly Route podcast, you know, what we do here for, what, 10 weeks now? 11 weeks? Maybe the whole time we've had the podcast? Mm-hmm. And it's not that hard to see if, 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 if being around other people close contact spreads it more than anything else. Why should Sundays be any different than any of the other six days of the week or before after the game when you have to wear a mask? All right. All right. All right. We appreciate everybody for checking in with us today. We have an exciting show. We're going to get into a reach back on our flagship episode and give you an update on the Deandre Baker robbery story. We're going to give you our picks for this Sunday's NFL games the winners and losers and NBA free agency, the fly route for the new iteration of the Philadelphia 76ers, and the fly route for a crumbling Houston Rockets organization. Our draft takeaways, and last but not least, a heartwarming story about Patrick Mahomes.
Welcome to the Tea Off. This is how we like to start our show. We like to spill some tea on some of the crazy situations our favorite athletes get into. Today, we have a reachback of sorts. You know, for all of our day one fans, anybody that listened to episode one, when we covered an alleged robbery committed by DeAndre Baker and Quentin Dunbar, who at the time played for the New York Giants and the Seattle Seahawks, happened around May of this year. According to Broward County Police, they apparently robbed a party of people for some watches, jewelry, a little bit of cash, petty money to people like this who make millions of dollars a year. And of course, the interesting part of a knockoff Richard Milley that they allegedly stole. And by the time we got to episode two, we got breaking news that DeAndre Baker had been cut from the New York Giants. So this was a huge impact story. It happened really fast, but we're here with an update because this story has gotten even crazier than we could have ever imagined. The Broward State Attorney's Office has dropped all charges against DeAndre Baker. He was being prosecuted for four counts of armed robbery and was facing a mandatory minimum of 10 years, a whole ass motherfucking decade in jail. This is crazy. Now, you might be asking yourself, how did this happen? This is connected to the arrest of a South Florida attorney named William Dean. He was arrested early last week for attempting to extort DeAndre Baker on behalf of the alleged victims of the robbery. Apparently, they were looking for DeAndre Baker to pay more than $266,000 to each of his clients, who in turn would do, and I quote, anything you want, so as long as the money is right. I'm very happy that we've been liberally using the term allegedly, because it now looks real alleged. I think there's a clear reason why the state's attorney's office dropped these charges. And that's because if the victims are changing their story multiple times now, you can't put them in front of a jury. It's impossible. There's no way you can get a conviction. So, I mean, as far as we know, based on these people switching it up all the time, it may have never happened. How did this get this far, though? Because you remember that all the victims had already recanted their original statements because the original statements implicated both DeAndre Baker and Quentin Dunbar. I remember. And it's not a little fishy when that happened, but you know, you let it go. Even more fishy when they all received a payoff from Quentin Dunbar through his former coach. And then magically his name dropped out of all the stories. Something like that. I mean, it's, it's a little fishy, but I mean, it ain't the Dolphins or the Marlins. I mean, it is Florida. Look, all four alleged victims had previously given sworn statements that they were paid to recant their initial sworn statement against Dunbar. We all talked about that payoff and how Dunbar kind of left Baker out in the wind if he was going to pay it off and get it done. Right. And apparently they came back for bite two. Yeah, that's where you that's where you fucked up. You, you can't double dip. They tried it and end up with the Broward State Attorney's Office saying that the credibility of these witnesses is in alterably tarnished oh absolutely i mean it's the as one of our former presidents once said you know you fool me once you can't get fooled again and 
the state's attorney's office was like, you, you had us once. You know, we could believe that your story changed one time. But twice? Nah. Nah, we're not getting fooled. This is crazy because it makes it hard to ascertain what the actual truth is. We know that these witnesses testified to getting paid off to leave Dunbar's name out of it. We also know that they tried to extort DeAndre Baker. And the charges being dropped are a not really a factual admission of innocence, but no, more so... Not guilty. Yeah. More so, this is they're not guilty. Now, we don't know if they actually did get robbed. And for these people, it was more important to get the payoff than it was to see justice for themselves. And well, I mean, apparently the payoff was more than the fake Richard Miller they were wearing. So Exactly. It's not like they didn't need the money. So it's weird because, like, was did this ever happen at all? Was it always an extortion play? Did something happen and then they started using it as an extortion play? I think it's the latter. Mm. I think there could have been, you know, a card game, something, a bet. They lose their stuff. They're salty. And that's how it all, they cook, they cook it up. They're like, yo, unless you pay us off, we're going to go to the cops. They say, they'll say whatever. No. They go to the cops. Then one dude says, hey, mm, you know, I like this little NFL career thing. Let me go ahead and pay these people off so I can keep on keeping on, make this money. He's still playing right now. He's still playing right now. And the other dude, easy situational of one dude said yes, the other dude said no, and they didn't talk to each other. I uh, left him out in the wind. How are you robbing niggas and not communicating with the payoff afterwards? Yeah, exactly. I also like to mention that third nigga. The one that actually wore a mask to the robbery in the height of the pandemic has still not been named. Oh, so this is crazy. Total sidebar, little sidebar. I feel like it'd be so much easier to rob somebody during the pandemic, though. Everybody should be wearing a mask. There is literally no excuse to not be wearing a mask while like, robbing someone in the pandemic. If you got your face mask on, a hat and some sunglasses, they don't know who the hell you are. I'm not advocating for these type of behavior, of course, but I'm saying... If I were so inclined, I think I'd know how to do it. I mean, are we inclined? <laughs> What's up? I don't need to. <laughs> but, you know, if if I were to, I think I knew how to get away with it. I'm not saying I would, but if I had to, which is what these crimes usually are, which is why it was so weird that these two players were accused of robbery because... They ain't need to rob nobody. They didn't need to rob nobody. Making millions a year. Making millions a year could get, like I said, back in week one, they can get any loan from Wells Fargo they need to. They could rob Wells Fargo and do better off than than this. <laughs> so it's hard to ascertain whether or not they just opportunistically decided to get a come up on some NFL players. Now, most importantly, Demarcus, do you think these witnesses should face charges? Honestly, no. Because from the same perspective, there's always going to be a bit of a reasonable doubt as to whether or not they did whatever. They've arrested the attorney for these witnesses. Right. But it's hard for even with that arrest of the attorney to prove that these four people did it. You think the attorney not going to snitch? Uh, he might not be able to snitch. So, Ooh. well, there are some complicated rules around that. The, the short story is he should be able to. So if if an attorney knows about a crime that has not happened yet, they can break privilege to do it. But now that it's after the fact, I don't know. It gets a little bit murky. I'll have to we have to uh, find a legal friend to consult them for the show. But 
We should actually start doing that. We have too many illegal friends to not do that. We do have too many illegal friends not to do that. But from my understanding, since he's already been charged with a crime, it's likely he can say something and it's just choosing not to. Because the idea is if you beat it and you get out, you don't want all your future clients being like you told on them. Yeah, that's Cause facts. If I can't trust my lawyer. Who can you trust? Who can you trust? Like, I, I don't think he wants to. I'm not sure legally where it's at. I'll have to do some research into that, but maybe we'll have another update on this story in a, in a few more weeks. But if I'm the Lord, even if I can, I'm not saying nothing. I'm not snitching. Oh, wow. DeMarcus is finally not snitching. <laughs> wow. It took 11 episodes for DeMarcus to finally not I be snitching. I don't think that. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I've made reference to that before. Uh-uh. You made references to snitching, nigga. I, listen. Listen, there's a difference between snitching and just having soppy criminals. Mm. You know this. Mm. The difference is, are you opening your mouth or are they getting themselves caught? Snitching. That's the only difference. We'll, we'll have to come back to this. Have a little end of the year wrap up on snitching. snitching. <laughs> <laughs> think we can go a lot of places with that. But we can go to some different sports cases with snitches and rats. But I fuck with that. I, I know you would. Mm-hmm. But in this case, nah, you can't. You can't do it. All right, facts. What is most important about this story is that DeAndre Baker was always and should have always been innocent until proven guilty. But he lost his job and possibly millions of dollars due to this accusation. This man is now the victim. He was put on the commissioner's exempt list. He was cut by the New York Giants. We all know. That when they cut someone on the commissioner's exempt list, it's usually for conduct detrimental, which is how they are going to try to avoid paying him his contract. And hopefully he gets that money back in arbitration. When Joe Judge, the new, new as in like this season, coach for the New York Giants, was asked about this. Now that he has been basically cleared, all he had to say was, wish him the best of luck in the future. We've made the decision we think is best for the program, and that is all I have to say about that. They left this man hanging in the wind on his own, putting the voiding of his contract money on the table, and that's all Joe Judge had to say. A part of that for the team, which I, you know, I feel bad for him, obviously, if he didn't do this, because, you know, it's all alleged, but... From the team's perspective, you don't want people around your organization that leads to drama or media attention or any distraction. So I get it. Like, if you're like, even if we brought him back, he's still a distraction because this story is, we think done, but at this point, we don't know when this story is going to be done because it keeps coming back. So you don't want that around your team. I don't know, because guess what happened after he got cleared and taken off the commissioner's exemplist? He was signed by the Kansas City Chiefs to their practice squad. And this is a good pickup for the Chiefs. He's a former first-round pick. He's in the second year in the NFL, so he only has a ton of upside and clearly had the talent to warrant being picked in the first round by a team as terrible as the Giants have consistently been. This makes so much sense for the Chiefs. They have a ring already, so you can take some risks. You know, it gives you a little coverage. Andy Reid has been known to bring people back um, and try to, you know, um, help their image recover. Biggest test case is obviously Michael Vick. Bringing him back after he got out of prison. 
And Baker ain't been to prison. He just had some alleged crimes and has seemingly been cleared of that. So this looks like he has a talent to eventually make their 53-man roster, which means he's not playing in any games currently. But the cornerback coach for the Chiefs says that they see him playing in the future for them, possibly this year, obviously, because he is a talented player. Mm -hmm. And I would love to see him get the ring and have a good comeback story with a team that's so much better than the Giants and currently the above and beyond favorites to repeat. Absolutely, and their defense needs help because their defense, we're going to talk about this later, their defense can't get a stop. This would be perfect karma for him, especially if he's innocent, but more importantly, even if he did it, because they broke the law trying to extort him. Let's get into our game picks for this Sunday. We're excluding the Thanksgiving games this week. We don't come out until Friday and we record on Tuesday. These are the Sunday games that we think are going to be must-see TV. Let's start with the Titans versus the Colts. Who do you got, Marcus? This is simple. I think that we're going to disagree, and you're crazy. I've been proven to be right many, many times here. I mean, that's why I've earned the nickname, Nigadamas. And I see an astounding victory for the Titans happening on Sunday. The Titans are coming off of playing the Ravens where they physically ran over them and talked their shit at midfield. I don't know if you saw this, but before the game started, the it was the Titans at the Ravens. The Titans met at midfield over the Raven logo, had a little team meeting with all 53 men, basically, and the coaches. And you don't usually do that when you're visiting somebody's home. And the Ravens were not too happy. But instead of the whole team coming out, instead of there being a fight, they sent out their 53-year-old head coach, Jim Harbaugh. I think Harbaugh might have sent himself out. He might have sent himself out. But why were no players back, backing him? I think he might have told them to stay fucking put. Perhaps. But, I mean, his team was physically intimidated, at least from that pregame. And then, of course, during the game, Derrick Henry likes to run all over people. As I've said for many, many weeks now, nobody wants to tackle that man. And the Colts got a pretty good linebacking core. But I still don't think they want that smoke. Look, the Titans got all hot, pumped up their chest because they already knew they had the Ravens number because of what they did to them in the playoffs last year. That's not the same for the Colts. They don't have that same level of confidence. But more importantly, this Ravens game wasn't as crazy one-sided as you want to make it seem. It went to overtime and Derrick Henry just finally, to, finally he, happened he, to crack off the big one. You right. That's what happens, though, when you pound them and you pound them and you pound them. Eventually, eventually, sometime late in the game, whether it's the fourth quarter or overtime, he's going to hit one. I'm telling you, the Indianapolis Colts have this game, and it's not going to get into overtime. The Colts have been sneaky good all season long, but more importantly, they match up really well against the Titans. The Titans are play action, run first team. And when the run isn't working early and often, that offense becomes one-dimensional and it's even easier to defend. The Colts have a great linebacking core, but more importantly, they have the third best run defense in the league. And if we're just looking at how many points the other team gets to score, they have the fifth best total defense in the league. 
They're going to give Derrick Henry some trouble, especially after this team is all high off of their Ravens win. I think it's going to be a close game. But remember, this is still a divisional game for the Titans and the Colts. And despite the Titans maybe being a little bit high off of their win, something like that, that is much easier to overcome when you're playing a divisional opponent the week after. Because you you don't like them anyways. In some divisions, you hate them. I don't know if the Titans and Colts have that. But really good chance. This is a close game. I don't disagree. They do match up well. It's a divisional game. They see each other twice a year. But I think the Titans pull it out late again. All right. Let's move on to what I think is going to be the game of the week. Kansas City Chiefs versus Tampa Bay Bucks. (laughs) You know... For like the third time this year, I'm going to take the Bucks, And it's not like I'm even in love with this pick because, well, if we're being honest. Be honest. You did your picks first. If if not for that, I would have chosen the Chiefs. You a whole ass hoe, nigga. I told you you could still pick the Chiefs. No, Why would I do that? Because we would have talked about a separate game. No, no, no. I'm just going to be right. Okay, then. Bucks. Um, this There's is probably no excuses the, if you're going to be right, nigga. <laughs> Don't premise it with the, oh, you got to pick where it's first, but I'm still going to be right. Shut the fuck up, DeMarcus. <laughs> well, this is probably the last time we ever see a Brady-Mahomes matchup. I don't think wow. it's that outlandish. I, well, unless it happens in the Super Bowl, which I don't think is likely. All right. Then we're not the going to see out. it again. I'm not counting the Bucks out, but, I mean, Brady says he's playing another year, but... We'll see. And they now play in different conferences. So the only way to play is a regular season game, which happens once every like four years or Super Bowl. And, and you counted the Bucks out of the Super Bowl. I'm I'm not saying counted out, it's saying unlikely. The difference. Mm, we playing semantics today. N- huh? Nuance difference. Nuance. <laughs> when have you been nuanced, Demarcus? I always have nuance. I am a you know a humble educated man and i approach things with you know reality and a realness to them what are you talking about mm-hmm. you act as though i live in some weird reality where it's all black or white i've never been like that look here's what i'll say the chiefs are gonna take this game the bucks rushing offense last week was abysmal they're always up and down hot and cold Mm-hmm. And while they can get the big chunk plays, the only way to beat the Chiefs is ball control. Mm-hmm. And they are not going to be able to sustain those really long drives to keep Patrick Mahomes on the bench mm. and keep him cold. And if you want to go big chunk play for chunk play with Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill, good fucking luck. Are you done? For now. Keep going. Go so, ahead. a few things. You can't tell. Well, number one, the Chiefs defense is ass. So, even if what you were saying is true about the Bucks' run game, the defense they're playing this week is much, much worse. Secondly, Tom Brady knows what he's doing, and so does Bruce Arians. Even if the run game is not working, Tom Brady, for like the last decade, has been an absolute pro at the checkdown and the short kind of handoff-ish throws that help you hold the ball, get first downs, turn the clock. And I think, despite all of that, this will be a close game late. 
the Chiefs have a bad defense, so it's a good chance whoever has the ball last will decide the game. And today, I'm saying I think Tom Brady's going to have the ball last. He's going to get his one last laugh over the young Patrick Mahomes. All right. Did you know that last week, Leonard Fournette dropped, not like deflected, defended, dropped 80% of his t- his checkdowns? Okay. So, Tom's not throwing it to him no more, obviously. <laughs> And second, yeah, the, the Chiefs' defense is definitely not the Rams' D, but this is a defense that bends but doesn't break as much as people like to think. They are actually ranked seventh in opponent points per game, which means that like they're actually not giving up as many points as people like to think. They are generally actually quite good at keeping teams out of the red zone. The team's problem is their red zone defense is atrocious. They rank dead last in the league for giving up scores once a team gets into the red zone. That's the real problem. So I don't disagree, but even watching the game last week against the the Las Vegas Raiders, came down to who had the ball last. I told you. And I think the Bucks' offense is better than the, the Raiders' offense. No, I don't think so. You don't think so? I don't think the Bucks' offense is anywhere near as consistently good as the Raiders' offense. Maybe you not remember, as consistent, but they have higher peaks, I think. Our picks at the very beginning of the year for how teams were going to do. I told you the Raiders had maybe one of the most underrated defenses in the league, and they could just win the majority of their games by shootout. As you have started to see this season, who has been right about that? I, I never. I don't I, think I said you were wrong. The answer is I. It's okay. Don't worry about it. The answer is I. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying, given the Bucks that like, oh, the Raiders did it, so can they. The Bucks have not been shut down offensively in a game all season. Tampa Bay has been in multiple. You mean the Chiefs? You said the Bucks and then Tampa Bay. No, um, I'm trying to say the Raiders have not been shut down oh, offensively okay. gotcha, in a gotcha, game gotcha. all gotcha. season. The Bucks have been gotcha. multiple times. Okay, so we'll see. I don't think the lack of consistency will matter against Kansas City as much. I think they will be there when it matters, but. I want to I want to get you to the next game because this is your one reasonable pick, and I like to make you look unreasonable. That's kind of the theme of the show. All right. So next up, we have the Packers at the Bears. Who you got? Bear down. See, unreasonable. Bear down. Unreasonable. Bear down. Any any half conscious person would easily choose Aaron Rodgers and the Packers to win this game. I'm not going to bet against the Bears. I think that... Who plays quarterback for the Bears this Sunday? That's actually where I'm going to start. I think that the fact that you don't know, I don't know, and the Packers don't know is actually good for the Bears because we don't know who actually knows internally in Chicago. That's what I'm saying. They have the Hmm. Packers backpedaling on both their pregame preparation but also their strategy. The one thing we know is that Nick Foles and Mitchell Trubisky are light years apart in quarterback style. So the offense that you prepare for when you're preparing for Nick Foles and the offense you should prepare for when you're preparing for Mitchell Trubisky are so different that this team is going to have to split their practice reps, split their game strategy, split their entire preparation, which I actually think gives us a little bit of an edge going into this game. And Matt Nagy is not letting people know for that extra competitive oomph to win this division matchup because we are on a big slide. 
We also get David Montgomery back from concussion protocol this week, and we need to be able to run the ball. And that has been tough for us the last two weeks because, well, by last week, week before, and then the week before that, he got concussed, right? So two game weeks. We have not been able to run the ball. Cordell Patterson was like our RB1. Like, come on. The slide that we have taken has been largely because our running game has dealt with a lot of injuries. We're going to get Montgomery back. We have a bunch of O-linemen back from COVID. Like, this is a team that's getting healthier and back together. And hopefully off of the bye with a lot of prep and preparation for the Packers, we're going to, what you would call an upset, what I would call destiny. Okay. I, you know, now that you've spoken, can see why you would think that. I'm sorry that you feel that way. (laughs) So I have two reasons. Number one is... So I asked that question of who's playing quarterback, assuming that it matters. It does not. Aaron Rodgers is, how do I say this? What has already been said a thousand times. He is transcendent. Trust me, as a Cowboys fan and as a Bears fan, you should know this. I do. You've seen the magic happen too many times. Bears have a good defense. They got a decent offense. Need to be able to run the ball. The point is not who is starting at quarterback. The point is that the question means both of them are injured which ain't good for their chances of running around and making things happen against the Packers, whether it is Trubisky or Foles. I really like Trubisky here. I, I know. Packers can't stop the run. And the second point I think that was more important that I've been predicting is the Bears' downfall. I've been calling it for weeks, and you're like, oh, no, it's not going to happen. Bear down, blah, blah, blah. And... I'm like, it's not happening. They're coming down to earth. Come down to earth. You're like, they never took off. And I'm like, but this is going to be their high. They never took off. This is going to be their high. And they're going to come down from this. And I've been proven right. Uh, I think it's been proven at this point. Nagy's a good coach, but not a genius that we all thought he was. And of course, if it's not obvious by now, I have chosen the Packers in this game. Aaron Rodgers is going to play a good Bears defense. But what Aaron Rodgers does with Adams... And Jones is just better offense. And that's going to win. Obviously, you've picked the Bears. I would call that if that happened an upset. But who is your upset? What is your upset game of the week? My upset game of the week is Patriots at Cardinals. You see Cam beating them out in the desert? I I don't think the home games matter anymore. We're at no, the point where they don't matter anymore. So, obviously, there's no no fans in most of these games. But weird things happen in that stadium. You know this. Sure. The Patriots of all teams know this. They've had two Super Bowls swing in opposite directions in that stadium. The One of them was the Malcolm Butler interception that happened down in the end zone. The other was the, the Giants, the David Tyree play, the helmet catch. Honestly, Eli just had their number, and the other one is a good thing <laughs> for the Patriots. Like, Eli just has the, num- the number for the um, also in this stadium was the, the Aaron Rodgers Hail Mary. Um, so I want to say Jeff Janis at the end of a game in like 20, was that like 2012. I can't remember 2013, something like that. And so, and then of course we have the Deandre Hopkins catch two weeks ago. I mean, Deandre Hopkins is Deandre Hopkins. So I, I don't think the fans will matter, but weird stuff and crazy stuff tends to happen in this stadium. I think it'll be a very good game. 
have to disagree with you. I see Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins pulling this one out. They've been on a roll lately. They've been real hot. Getting some confidence. The Cardinals should win this game. I agree. Right? They're they're not on a roll anymore because they lost to Well, the, uh yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. But but they know they can compete with anybody in the league. And the Patriots have not looked great lately. I agree. They have not. I mean, I'm with you. It's an upset for a reason. Okay. Okay. What about you? What's your upset for the week? So this cut sound a little crazy. I'm gonna say Broncos over the Saints. You don't trust Taysom Hill as a quarterback? I do not. I do Ooh. not. Even after last week, he played well overall, but a lot of that was the gadget stuff that he's been doing, the runs. He was not a consistent passer for me. There was even one play early in the game where he threw basically a duck that the receiver had to wait for, and it looked like a punt. And <laughs> this is why it was so crazy to some people why they would choose Hill over Winston to be their starter. And... Obviously, it worked out last week. The Falcons are bad. They get the Falcons twice. They get the Falcons twice. He'll yeah. beat the brakes off the Falcons. Even after the Falcons were talking shit, like, oh, you you disrespecting us by starting Hill. Whatever. Mm, that's the adequate amount of respect. It is the adequate amount of respect, but I think against a team like Denver, who themselves has not had a great time lately, but had a really good game last week against the Dolphins, helped slow down Tua. Uh, who, as we know, can run. And even then, once they switched quarterbacks and went back to Fitzpatrick, you know, a little Fitz magic, they were also able to stop him and hold on at the end of the game to get a nice win. I think Flores really only made that switch to let Tua know that he shouldn't feel comfortable and he shouldn't take it for granted. That's some. That's a oh, mental yeah. switch. Well, I think also it's partially like a health thing because Tua was getting beat up in that game. Uh, the pass rush was getting after him very heavily from the from the Broncos. I think the Broncos do the same thing this weekend against the Saints. I think Hill will find that he cannot throw and his running lanes will be closed and the Saints offense will suffer and the Broncos pull one out late. I think the Saints got this. I think most importantly, the Taysom Hill choice at quarterback makes a ton of sense to me. They extended his contract and they have to find out for sure whether or not he can ever be their guy or not. Sean Payton wants to see it. Mm-hmm. Getting two of your next three weeks, right, from when it started against the Falcons is perfect. It means that, like, most chance you're almost guaranteed to keep the lead if Drew Brees is only out three weeks. If he's out a little bit longer, then you might make some more changes if Taysom Hill stinks it up. But, like, you're more than likely to keep first place in the division. My question for you is, if this were to happen right before the playoffs, who would you? Who do you think Sean Payton would choose to be the quarterback? Winston or Hill? So I think if the injury originally happened right before the playoffs, they would make it Winston because they can keep the offense very similar Mm -hmm. to what they were doing with Drew Brees. I think if it's like Drew Brees does not come back for the rest of the season, they could easily ride with Taysom Hill. True. And I think if you go Hill and he gets hurt, you have another very good backup who can keep things the same in Winston going down the stretch into the playoffs. So I agree. All right. Last but not least is our toilet bowl award. This week, I'm giving it to the New York Giants versus the Cincinnati Bengals. I agree. Ain't nothing interesting about the Bengals. Nothing at all. What was there with Burrow is now gone with the believed ACL and MCL injury. 
He's out for the season and likely he's out for nine to twelve months. He might not likely not come back until midway through next season. Just sit him, tank it again. Sit him, tank it again. Get more picks. They could probably get some at least a good lineman out of this. Yeah, I'm just like they're gonna get a great pick, and they could use more talent. We talked about how Burrow is doing a lot with the little. I think if he's out nine to twelve months and is only gonna come back halfway through a season, just let it go. Yeah, luckily. There will be lots of other things to see this weekend um, after Thanksgiving. But <laughs> so I don't have to watch this game. The Cowboys <laughs> play on Thursday. Got some good games on Sunday. Are you taking the boys? Am I taking the boys? Uh, what? I mean, it, look, I want to know how hard your delusions have grown how, after your. It's the Washington win. football team. Delusions. Delusions. Yeah, we win it. Lost to pretty bad teams this year. We win it. All right. We've seen a lot of moves. The NBA has gotten shaken all the way up in a year that we originally thought was going to be a very weak free agency class. And we weren't going to see all that much. Let's get into our winners and losers so far from all the trades, NBA free agency, etc. Demarcus, I want your biggest winner so far. This for me is pretty simple. It's the Utah Jazz, um, which I know sounds a little surprising. Very. A little surprising, but I like what they've done this offseason, even after they were contending in the bubble this, this past year. So adding Derek Favors to the front court really does help a lot, especially against some of the teams they're going to see in the West in the playoffs. They're going to see possibly a Portland they're going to see the Lakers with Davis. They, they're they going to see, uh, you know, the Warriors now have uh, Wiseman. They're going to see lots of these big men out in the West. They're going to need that out in their front court. I think Favors adds some good defense, a little bit of scoring. In particular, though, I like the addition of Jordan Clarkson, who's going to add some uh, kind of offensive firepower for their team. He was already there. They re-signed him. Well, they re-signed him, but I think that is going to help the continuity of this team and keep them where they are at least and maybe take a small step forward because at some point during the playoffs last year, it was very obvious their offense was stagnant and their offense depended almost solely on Mitchell. And if they want to be contenders next year, they need him to have some help, whether it's be more consistent, grab somebody else, etc. I like the moves they made so far. If they want to add some more shooting, they still can. There are some good players out there who are free agents still who they can get on the cheap. They can even add 40-year-old Kyle Korver. They could add some Emmanuel Moutier. They could do some different things to get some shooting to add to the offense on this team. But I like where they're going. I think they have a good chance to be contenders in the West for a long time. I think that is a terrible answer, Demarcus. You well, can't of course be, you disagree. You can't be a biggest winner because you kept your sixth man and added Derek Favors of all people. Not at all. Like, I think that's disrespectful to all the moves the Lakers has made. But more importantly, my biggest winner is the Philadelphia 76ers. Daryl Morey is a fucking genius. And I'm pretty sure Elton Brand at this point is just a, like a puppet GM. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, think about it. He got off of the Al Horford contract, which in and of itself would make them a high quality contestant for biggest winners 
But more importantly, then they got the shooting that they so desperately need. They get off of Josh Richardson for Seth Curry, who's on contract for a year longer, who is statistically right now the best shooter, three-point shooter in the NBA. Just pure three-point shooting percentage for his entire career. The best. They got they get Danny Green, who we know can shoot the three, even though he had a rough playoffs. He was great in the regular season for shooting the three. He's a strong defensive player. Again, a big three and D guy. They also then get Dwight Howard as a backup center for, and here's the most important part, $2.6 million. $2.6 million. They get Howard on the cheap. And this is after he tweeted out that he was coming to the Lakers and he tweeted the purple and gold don't get old. And now he's gone. I can see why you think that. I like the moves. Well, I like Curry move. Not a huge fan of the green move, even despite the playoffs. I thought he was even subpar during the regular season last year. And I think obviously getting off of those bad contracts was the biggest thing. But when your good moves is unshooting yourself in the foot, I can't give it to you. And the first, the getting rid of those contracts was a 76ers move that everyone could see was bad last offseason, and they still did them. Look, to be a winner, you have to look at your team last year and then look at your team this year. And they have made some of the largest changes any team has made, and it makes them way better. But let's get on to our biggest loser. Who is your biggest loser so far? It's Detroit, Detroit Pistons. They do things in a way that makes me happy. I've never been a fan of their team. (laughs) It brings me joy because the team was already kind of in the middle of the East. where not bad enough to get a top lottery pick. Not good enough to really contend in the playoffs. And they went on a shopping spree. They're paying a couple extra guys $25 million a year in Grant and Mason Plumlee. They let Christian Wood walk. And they're stuck in this no man's land with the high salary for uh, the cap. I'm like, what are you doing? I I just don't get it. I for a team that says they want to win, they keep doing lots of things, but those things don't end up leading to more winning. And that makes you a loser because you're neither rebuilding nor contending. You are stuck in no man's land, which in the NBA is not a place you want to be, because they're neither rebuilding. They can't get bad fast enough to rebuild. They have so many contracts to get rid of to do that. And they're neither contending. They are paying all this money, but not getting anything for it. And to me, that's just a loser. You're not on the path to winning and you're not winning right now. You're stuck in losing. I do agree that the Pistons are a loser here, but the Pistons were never winners. So I feel like you're trash and you're still trash, right? More importantly for me, the biggest loser is the Toronto Raptors. First and foremost, they lost both Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka, which means who is the starting five for that team? It's got to be just young people or people off the street, basically. Exactly. For those two roles. Lost them both and got nothing back. Like I said, they are likely to do when we talked about the fly route for Giannis. So... Here's where they're at. Both of those losses 
which are key members of Bike. Their rotation, Baca was basically their sixth man. Marcus was their starting center. Mm-hmm. And Iblaka was having a career resurgence last year coming off the bench. Then they had to overpay Fred Van Fleet at four years, $85 million. Now, shocker fans, don't get me wrong. Fred Van Fleet is a serviceable, good point guard. He has shown he can show up at the height of the game, Hmm. big moments. He'll knock down the shot. DeMarcus is still bitter because they beat the Warriors' ass, but whatever, right? (laughs) Oh, okay. I wouldn't call it that, but go ahead. Right. But the reason why this contract is bad is because they still have Kyle Lowry on their team. You can't play them both at the same time and feel like you're going to match up defensively well, especially when you don't have the same rim protectors you used to. So this is a team that went from top of the East, always contending deep into the playoffs, and I think they're going to see a big fall off. We saw Siakam kind of retreat into himself a little bit. I'm concerned for the long-term viability of this team, and it seems like they need to figure out their direction quickly. Don't disagree. I think Lowry gets moved this season. Mm, Where do you think he goes? It's going to have to be a team that thinks they're on the cusp of the playoffs but needs a point guard or needs a backup point guard. Mm, Like? I hate to say it. I could see that the Clippers doing it. Yo, okay. And I wouldn't be upset with that move. I think it does make the Clips better if they have Lowry as a point guard to run the offense through and give the ball to either Leonard or playoff P. I think that's a possibility. I could see a couple other places, but I think that's probably a really good landing spot for him. Okay. How about this? The most improved team. The team that you think is going to add the most to their win total. It's easily the Warriors. They were at the bottom. I know this sounds crazy. It's a bad pick because, but like, you just, it's you, not because of your the, moves. It's because, like, you get Steph Curry back. Well, no, no. They made some really good moves. And I, I'm going to get into this. Okay. So, first off, obviously, they had a lottery pick. So, they were real bad last year. I think they were 15 and something. Bad. And lost more games they had lost in the last, like, six seasons combined. So, they're going to get Curry back, as you know, who is a kind of all-star kind of caliber player franchise player they thought they were getting clay back but he got hurt right before the draft which was devastating to me i wanted to cry i didn't cry but if i would have you know it wouldn't have been that bad but then they make some moves that do make a lot of sense so the first is they draft wiseman so they get their center of the future they have really good depth there between wiseman and looney their front court should be set for the next few years if they can retain looney the the big move though is obviously adding Kelly Oubre. He's going to be kind of a 3 and D player for them. Great pickup. It's a great pickup. With Curry back, you have Curry, Wiseman, Green, Oubre, and Wiggins. And that's a good starting five in the NBA, even in the West. They're going to add a lot to their win total because I think they're going to be a playoff team in the West next season. And I think they improve the most because there is even with Clay coming back, lots of doubt about the depth of the Warriors and missing pieces in certain places. I think they've kind of started to fill out, fill that out a little bit. Additionally, the team is going to continue to get better. The team has applied for a disabled player exemption. 
which is going to allow them to sign one more piece this offseason or during the beginning of the season this year, which allows them to get even better and add some more depth to their roster. Okay. Your argument is strong. I do feel like your argument is slightly boosted because it's not really about free agency or like the trades that were made. It's mostly about the fact that you get like the best shooter of all time back in your life. So like, come on. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. But mathematically, they're going to boost and they did make some good free agent moves. Mathematically, I do think this is the team that might add the most to their win total. Prior to right before we started recording, I was of the mind that this was going to be the Suns, right? I think that Devin Booker is going to go super Nova insane next season with Chris Paul setting him up. As long as that hammy don't get too tight, <laughs> shit's going to be just right. Okay? It'll be good until like March. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't step on my fucking rhymes, DeMarcus. <laughs> 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 and I think adding Crowder is a great 3 and D move for them. It helps kind of alleviate losing of Kelly Oubre. This is a team that I can see making a big jump. But now, for me, I think, honestly, the team that's most improved is the Atlanta Hawks. I could see that. Huge revamp in free agency. This team was great offensively and terrible defensively. They get a bunch of guards that can defend now. They got Rondo. They get Chris Dunn from the Bulls. Then they go out and make a move for Gallinari. And I think while they probably overpaid Gallinari, Gallinari is a serviceable starter for this team and gives them a lot of depth on the wing. More importantly, they recently, as in today, right before we started recording, got Bogdan Bondanovich, which is a huge pickup for them. He was highly, highly, highly touted in this free agency, and they offered him enough money that the king said it's too rich for my blood and let him walk and i think this is going to be a team that has made so many additions and have gotten so much better this season and now they have some clogs in some places which allows them to make some trades and get even better i think atlanta will be much improved i think they have an easier path to improvement because they play in the east but I do still like both the Suns and the Warriors picks better. I think, for me at least, those will be the more exciting teams to watch. I will look forward to seeing Suns game Agreed. games next season. Versus the Hawks, I can see them see they're getting better. But in the back of my mind, I'll always think they could have had Luka. Oh, yeah. They'll never live that down. And that's, that's even, you know, we're talking about this year and most improved, et cetera. I'll never forget that. Mm. So The collective NBA conscious will never forget that. Nor should we. Yeah. Because they could already be better if they had Luka. Unless Trey Young three-peats, we will never forget this. That's uh, not going to happen. Exactly. Okay. All right. Now, let's get into the most surprising move you saw in free agency. Oh, this is easy. It's Gordon Hayward to the Hornets. It, from both perspectives, made little sense to me, for the most part. No, it made a ton of sense from... Hayward's perspective. From Hayward's perspective? So I think from this Hayward's perspective. This nigga just got the whole fucking bag. He does get the bag. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. He counting up right now. No, it's still running up. <laughs> <laughs> no, the bag was just that big, Demarcus. That nigga got it all. So I think that's kind of the thing. It feels so yeah, there's money. Obviously there's money. A lot of fucking money. And from someone who ain't got that kind of money, it's really easy for me to talk about that. But I'm thinking 
I thought Hayward was about winning. And I was wrong. Maybe he was like, damn, I can get another max contract off these niggas. Let me well, uh, finesse Laura real I quick. I think he now sees that he can no longer be even the third best player in Boston. There's a good chance of that. Sure, but he could have went to a lot of teams. He could have. And, I mean, he went to... The bag. Well, yes, he the bag. signed to the bag. But he signed his soul over to the devil to get the bag because he went to NBA hell. Uh, yeah, he, he took a, there's a <laughs> Jordan logo on a Brinks truck and they just backed it on up to his fucking house. That is, in fact, what happened. Now, obviously, it looks a little... I feel like for Charlotte, this is just let's get some kind of box office names in the building so that when we do have fans again, they will come to our games and turn out Charlotte had the, I want to say, 27th or 28th attendance in the league, if not the worst attendance in the league, even before COVID shut things down. And so a part of drafting LaMelo and signing Hayward, I think, is is certainly not even all long term. I think LaMelo is a long term pick. But the craziest pick, Hayward, is there mostly just to get people in the door once fans are so. back. I think they picked Hayward and they made their other moves because they actually believe in LaMelo. Well, I do think they believe in LaMelo. I think like, Jordan is a catalyst behind that, but I do think they believe in LaMelo. I think I think Jordan is usually pretty, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Stingy with the pockets, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that has been a big problem for him. And when he has opened the pockets... He's done them to the worst possible players, i.e. Nick Batum. Well, yeah, in other cases where the other player in Boston right now who Kemba is, Walker, that's who is the say. third best player probably. I don't think he believed in Kemba Walker is what I'm trying to say. And I think he believes in developing LaMelo Ball into the next generational star. And I think he, when they got him, they decided to go all in. I think they did decide to go all in, but I think um, it's still the oddest move for me. It's just it just seems odd for, for for me for both parties. I thought it didn't make it. It's not odd for Gordon Hayward for for Hayward bad. even from him moving from what was he in Utah to Boston before that move we kind of all foreshadowed for a while. You he know? was like posting pictures of his baby in Celtics gear. That nigga was not being slick about <laughs> that shit. I mean, it was his f- former college coach who was now the head coach of the Celtics. There was all kind of connections there. It made sense. Didn't work out with the injury and Boston drafting some really good p- players. I think it worked out fine enough. It worked out fine enough for him to re-up another Max well, afterwards. That, yes. He, well, at the very minimum, he got hurt. Well, he was a Max-level player, went to the Celtics, got hurt, came back, and played pretty well and proved that he could still be a star in the league. And it just seemed like maybe it was too crowded in Boston for him to really stand out anymore. So you pack your things, get a get a Brinks truck, and you, you leave town. And I think he really wanted to get that Brinks truck now before the 2021 free agency class. Oh, yeah, because t- exactly. well, we talked about this before. 2020, they got some nice pieces, but there's not the huge stars moving like there normally are. Exactly. So he wanted to, you know, make sure he got the bag while the market was low, and it was smart on his part. For me, the oddest move to me was honestly a tie between Rondo going to the Hawks and Montrez Harrell going to the Lakers. Now, like Rondo going to the Hawks, I was shocked by. Like there was all the buzz about it, but there was also a lot of buzz about the Clippers, and it felt like you know Rondo just came off a chip. He probably wants to get another chip. You know, three teams, three chips, doing his thing. And instead, he went to the Hawks. 
Now, at first, I was really surprised by this until uh, Stephen A. Smith t- today actually said that the Hawks offered him $10 million more That's than crazy. the Clippers did. Here, and there's no signed- California state tax either. Why wouldn't you take it? He's in Atlanta. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If they if they offered you ten million more in Atlanta, the, oh well, yes, yeah, you take it. Yeah, it's just like it's crazy because you felt like the Clippers really needed him more than the Hawks did to be that cheap about it. But I guess you know they were saving up for Ibaka. But here here we are. Here we are. Montrez Harold to the Lakers was kind of weird to me because he went to their arch rival, and not even for like a huge bag. Short-term contract. It might just be like a, you know, fuck Paul George. <laughs> I think that's what it is. It goes back to my theory. This team does not believe, some of the players on this team do not believe in their core. This proves that true. All right. We have a little bonus here for you all. We're going to give you our far, way too far early playoff predictions for the East and the West. Not going to be a ton of argument on this one. We just want to put it into the either. Speak it into existence. DeMarcus, give me your top eight teams in the West. West is a little hard for me um, compared to the East. I think the West will have a lot of fluctuation uh, in the playoffs this uh, coming up season. I think we'll see the Lakers, of course, return. Warriors bounce back, make the playoffs. Clippers sneak in again. This time, not as highly rated. We have the Jazz, the Mavericks, the Suns, and this is where it gets difficult when I get to the 7-8. I'm not, this is not in order. Oh, I was about to ask. Yeah, Warriors at two? No, 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 no. The this, this, this is not in order. This is, this is not in order. I'm just, just predicting who I think is going to be in the playoffs. But I do think out of this next group, one of these teams could easily be the 7 or the 8. I think Houston probably makes it. But the West is tough. There's turmoil in Houston. They could lose at least one of their superstars, and we're not sure what they'll get back for him this season. So I have Houston, possibly seven. And then eight is between either Denver or Portland. And that's where I'm not as sure. You have Denver at eight? Possibly. Nigga, are you smoking dust? Hold on. You have Denver at eight? Maybe Are not. you smoking dust? They could be out. All right. I'm going to give just you like mine. the number of teams in the West who I think will be back in the playoffs next season. You're smoking dust. You Somebody's got to be eight. out. They were in the Western Conference Finals. And? All right. I'm going to give you mine. And mine is in order because I'm not pussy. All right. Here we are. Okay. One is the Lakers, right? They made some good additions. They were probably slightly better than they are last year offensively, but worse defensively. My two is the Nuggets for sure. My three is the Clippers. Four, Mavericks. I believe the Mavericks are going to make a surge and be quite fucking good this year. Five, I'm going to believe in the Trailblazers coming back. Less injuries this year. They've made some good additions with Robert Coverton. I'm liking it. Then I have the Suns. And my last two, I'm sitting between the, with the Rockets at seven and the Jazz at eight. That's where I'm at. Okay. Where are you out east? All right. Over on east, I have the Bucks again being the best regular season team. 
They have proven time and time again now that they got that. Then I'm having the Nets show up and show out. The Miami Heat take the third seed. The Celtics, always well ran, take the fourth seed. And unsurprisingly, the Sixers get the fifth seed. And we might get to see that matchup again. Okay. From there, I have the Pacers and then the Raptors. Uh, can't really disagree with you on that. I got the Bucks, the Heat, the Nets, the Celtics, 76ers, got the Raptors. Think the Pacers are able to rekindle some of the spark they found in the bubble with TJ Warren. They get Oladipo back. Think they'll be back again. And then I'm thinking after that initial kind of seven, I think maybe you see the Hawks sneak in um as an 8 seed possibly we've seen in the east you don't have to have a winning record to be in the playoffs happens a lot out there and that's what i got let's get into the fly route for this episode today we're going to do something a little bit different especially with all the changes that teams are making in free agency as it's winding down we're going to take a team that has made a lot of changes or has a lot of changes coming and give you the fly route on how they should optimize their new roster going into the 2020-2021 season. Marcus, take us away. So we're going down south because Houston has a problem. And they got two of them. And even though they have not made any major moves thus far, at least when it comes to players, they will have to make a major move this season. To make this work going forward. So really quickly on the player side. Obviously we've all heard the rumors. Both Westbrook and Harden want out of Houston. Um, Westbrook is not happy with his role on the team. Harden wants to go play with more of his friends. Out in Brooklyn. Etc. We have PJ Tucker who's upset about his contract. He has a little bit of beef. He wants to get more money. And is also a little bit upset if of, of Harden leaves. Because that's part of the reason why you come to Houston to play with Harden. So I think they will have to trade Westbrook either before the season starts or sometime before the trade deadline. I think they should trade Westbrook and keep Harden. There is no reason why the Rockets should make the same mistake as the Cavs did with Kyrie Irving. You keep Harden. You have him under your control for the next three seasons. You trade Westbrook, which the experiment worked out as well as it could last year. And it didn't go very far. You went the shortest distance you have in the time that you've had this team kind of together. They've made second and third round playoff appearances before Westbrook got there and just not have not been able to get over the hump. And it's clear Westbrook is not going to help them do that. They can trade Westbrook to a team um, who needs some star power, who wants to possibly contend, but really just has the money to take on his contract. Who is that? Who, who Ooh, is that and what do that, they get back? That's that's a good question. That's a good question. The only teams that could do it, it's hard to make the money work because those teams don't have enough contracts to offload to make the deal work under the NBA salary cap. If I were to look around at teams to do it, people some people have said some to the Knicks, get them draft picks because Houston has no picks for like the next six or seven years since I've been re- unreal. And I can see the Knicks doing it. If, if there is a team, that is the team. 
I'm hearing mostly the Nets because that's the only place, you know, Harden wants to go. Well, you don't trade Harden. Um, you trade Westbrook to somewhere like the Knicks, for example, somewhere you're going to get at least one or two first-round draft picks back, unload some of the salary cap, hell, you're kind of going to be in. And this is super important when I get to the backside of this because the owner. Um, but once they get rid of Westbrook, depending on what they get back, let's say they just get, get just unload some salary, get back draft picks, there's still some free agents on the market right now they could sign that would give them guard help. I think they need a little bit of guard help, probably one or two players, and maybe uh, some wing help. They downsized real a lot last season with the Westbrook experiment. They got rid of Capella. They can still get a big back. They got Boogie. Yeah, exactly. They got Boogie. And as far as kind of role players fill out the roster, wings and guards, like I was saying earlier, there's Emmanuel Moutier still out there. You've got um, Reggie Jackson. You've got Kyle Korver. Um, you got some options out there to fill in the roster, get some more shooting back, get some some defense back, etc. And, you know, I think that is what Houston should do. I think that gives them the best chance to stay at least where they are in the Western Conference pecking order. And when 2021 hits and we have another big free agency class, for them to jump back in it and go big game hunting once again and try to get a second star. But the thing that's hampering them now, the thing that has motivated lots of their changes is their owner, Tillman Fertitta. Not sure if y'all know, the man may be broke. <laughs> you really just called a dude that owns the NBA team broke? Yes, here's why. So first, he took out a loan to be able to buy the team. Uh, he sold a bunch of stocks and took out a loan of like a billion dollars to be able to buy them in the first place. Okay. His uh, money comes from his business acumen. He owns, I believe, restaurants and either hotels or something. Either way, every business that he owns is suffering due to the pandemic. He took out a $300 million loan earlier this year in the spring to help keep his businesses afloat. And the, the rumor right now is that he's running low on cash. And the moves that were made last season were partially made to get underneath the luxury cap. For example, letting Trevor Reza walk, right? That was a pure luxury cap move. He did not want any part of that. He wanted to pay under the salary cap so that he didn't have to pay that because the story is the man is short on cash. And even some of the moves that are going to happen, right? Like Daryl Morey leaving, they butted heads because Morey don't give a fuck about the money. Morey's trying to win and he will do anything possible to win. And the constraints that were being placed on him were causing him to butt heads of Fertitta. They did not get along. Fertitta forced the Westbrook trade last year that Moore did not want to do. Moore was very much a Chris Paul guy. And this has caused Houston to kind of, he bought a team that was on the cusp of winning a championship who was contending. And because of his money troubles has made them worse. So the fly route is, you know, get under the cap, get rid of Westbrook. That's a lot of money. Get back some cheaper pieces, get back some draft picks. And continue to build around James Harden. All right. I don't have any real issues with that, right? The Russ and Harden experiment has clearly failed. And while they're both great players, they both don't want to play with each other, even though they like each other. This isn't like Harden, Chris Paul beef. Right. Right. This is like, no, we're friends. We just think that like, no, we it's don't not really, gonna work. Our games don't mesh. So I'm with you there. The moves they made this offseason were also he demanded that they get under this uh, mm-hmm. luxury tax again. 
which I think really pushed Harden on to want his way out. Mm-hmm. You think that they're going to be able to hold on to a disgruntled Harden for the next two years? Be able to. I mean, he's under a guaranteed contract. I mean, I agree. So was Anthony Davis. You well, Anthony only had a year left. I said for the next two years. They have two years left. They can still make some moves around him to try to satisfy him. But I don't think you give up on Harden just yet. Harden is a generational, transcendent talent that has become the identity of your franchise, both on the basketball court and off of it, because the people in Houston love them some James Harden. And James Harden, quite frankly, loves Houston. And he so loves it's strippers. Okay, okay, okay. He likes the city too. So I believe um, Harden dug into his own pocket to give donations to Hurricane Harvey Relief and other things that have happened in Houston. Strippers were affected by Hurricane Except- Harvey too. <laughs> I, I do think he loves the strippers in Houston. I don't think the strip... I no, no, New York is great. Brooklyn is great, I'm sure. But I have a feeling the Houston strippers are a little bit different than the New York strippers. I have a feeling. And, the Houston um, strippers are sticky. You're right. Eating cornbread and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. but but that's besides the point. I I just don't see them. It doesn't make sense to move off of him just yet. Okay. Maybe in a year, if you try again, and you realize you're coming up to the end, and he's not happy still, and you want to make sure you get something back for him before he walks away for nothing. Sure, but you don't make that move until it's the absolute last move to make. All right. I'm going to give you all the fly route for the Philadelphia 76ers. I think this is a team that has made a ton of changes. And this is exciting. What Doc Griffers has at his disposal now is exciting. For me, the fly route is to reconstruct your starting five completely. The first and foremost thing that you should do is move Ben Simmons to the three. Or the four, whatever you want to call it. Tobias Harris is playing the other spot. Ben Simmons should no longer play the one. I think they started experimenting with it later on. And I think in general, for your spacing and the people you want to put on the floor, this is your best option. Most importantly, because he's not like a small guy. He's a huge one. He's an average size three, right? So it's not going to create a defensive mismatch for you at all. And he's a great defender in general. That puts Tobias Harris at the four, the power forward position. And here's where I think some people might not agree with where, I, where I'm at. I think you should let Shake Milton start at the one. And I know that means that both Seth Curry and Matisse, who had a great year last year, are going to the bench. But Shake Milton, for me, is a great person to put at the one. Because even though Ben Simmons is at the three, he's going to be playing point forward. The person's game that he has always been compared to is LeBron's. Right. And why not put him at that same position since you want him to control the ball? Shake Milton doesn't need the ball in his hands. He can facilitate for others. He averaged 2.6 assists last year. And more important is he's been growing a lot and really well in his second year. He shot 43% from three last year and is an efficient scorer who basically his real shooting percentage is around 48. This is huge for them, especially because they can put Danny Green at the two and have a really spaced out lineup that they haven't really seen since the year they got to the conference finals when they had J.J. Redick, Dario Saric, Robert Covington, all either just 
shooting specialists like JJ or huge 3 and D guys like Sarik and Covington. This allows them to have a power unit off the bench. They might pull up with the best defensive starting five in the league with Embiid anchoring them at the five, Danny Green at the two, and having Simmons play the three. That's going to be devastating when your second unit has statistically the best shooter in the NBA with Seth Curry and spark off the bench, Dwight Howard, energy guy, also great defensively. Okay, I have no problem with that. Only thing I'm going to say is that I, I really hope that for your sake that Joel Embiid has been doing cardio somewhere for the last month and a half. That's all I hope. Even if he plays into shape like he has basically every season, at this point, he is what he is. He The problem really was in the playoffs last year, when the team needed him to kind of carry the load, he tried his best. But usually by the third quarter, every game, he was exhausted. He was, even by that point, not in the right shape that he should have been in. That, but the problem was the long layoff. Well, some Many players... will use the long layoff to mm-hmm. get in better shape, such as like Jokic, right? Mm-hmm. And he clearly did not. Mm-hmm. But that's why I'm saying he usually plays his way into shape during the season, and the layoff was actually a net negative for him because he's clearly not super motivated to be getting himself into great conditioning and like at the right weight, et cetera, on his own time. So barring another like massive pause in the season, I think he should be able to play himself into shape for the playoffs and be the Joel Embiid that we know he can. We're, we're still waiting, but I think he can do it this year. I mean, we have seen the Joel Embiid we know he can be. We're I don't still think we've waiting. seen his peak yet. Oh, I agree. Which is what, we, which, what, what, what we're really talking about. It's like, not that he's not good or even not great. It's that we see a level of greatness for him that he, for some reason, does not seem motivated to get to for himself. And part of it's just conditioning. He likes cheeseburgers. I like cheeseburgers, too, but no one's paying me, you know, $200 million not to eat them. Uh, They're paying him $200 million to be on the court and play. They ain't paying him $200 well, million dollars the, to not eat the, cheeseburgers. The real rub is, and then I'll, I think we're done with this, is he has had back and I believe knee problems. And as a big man in this league, the thing that everyone will tell you that helps you play longer is to play at a lighter weight, to loosen the load on your back and your knees. Because once either of those goes, it's done for you. You're down for the count. Okay. I don't disagree at all. Hopefully he comes back in better shape. But even if he doesn't, I think in this configuration, this could become the team to beat in the East. We had an exciting NBA draft night, one, two, three. You know, it was pretty consistent, what everybody thought it was going to be. But after that, we started seeing some surprises. So we are here to give you our key takeaways from the NBA draft. Yeah, I think the top three were not surprising. It was the players we thought. The part that surprised me was that there were not any trades in the top three. We had heard lots of rumors about all the teams in the top three possibly trading down to get kind of more value for their pick. And that didn't happen. They stayed pat. They went in probably not the most popular order, but certainly one of the very 
predominant kind of ideas about what the top three would look like. And I think, you know, starting off with Minnesota, taking Edwards is, I think, the right move for Minnesota. The question is, and the question that has even come up post-draft about Edwards, is Edwards playing with Carl Anthony Towns? And the question of, do both of these players have the motor and the drive necessary to make this team good? D'Lo's going to do his thing. He's going to get his points, whatever. But when it comes down to it, are is Cat going to step up? And does Cat possibly not stepping up impact their young rookie player on this team now? I wasn't surprised that they picked Edwards. I knew they would do it, even though they should have taken Ball. Oh, yeah. Everyone said if they take the best talent, they will take Ball. And for whatever reason, they didn't want the best talent. I, I still don't understand what Minnesota is doing long term, like what their plan is. I think they think they have the pieces now, which means that they want to keep D'Lo at the one and put Edwards at the two next to him. Let him be like a slasher, a scorer next to D'Lo to facilitate instead of LaMelo Ball, who clearly is a person who needs the ball in his hand. But that's the crazy part. I thought that Ball would have played really well with D'Lo. Because D'Lo, when he was in Brooklyn two years ago, was that two years ago or damn last season? I guess two years ago now. Even at times, he need, he had the ball in his hands a lot, but D'Lo did play well without the ball in his hand. That's what I said. I and think then he should be a two. Also had a little bit of a chance to showcase that when he got to the Warriors before everybody got hurt. And so I thought the the ball pick made sense. He's the I think by far the consensus most talented player in the draft. We could highest of course upside. be wrong. The highest upside. But, you know, is what it is. Warriors got their big man. They got Wiseman. Not a surprise whatsoever. They made the right move. I think there was some risk the Warriors could have taken ball, given that they were unsure about the clay situation when the draft was happening. But um, I think... Only a bad organization would make that panic move. Right. And the Warriors, we know, are not that. Exactly. So they went with the long-term play. They, you know, got Wiseman, who's going to be their big, hopefully, when everything is back. <laughs> I know we've been waiting on this for, it seems like, forever now. You don't have to keep waiting. Right. They think they can still contend for one more ring. And I don't think they're wrong if you have Steph in his early 30s, Clay, who's like 30. Hopefully, they, they said with the type of Achilles injury that Clay has, he should make a full recovery. And it's, prob- it's probably like the best kind of Achilles injury to have, if, if there is a best kind. Yeah, and his his game, at least his offensive game, is not based off being no. super athletic. No, I mean, he he scored 60 on like 11 dribbles. Yeah, he's just a he, pure fucking shooter. He, the purest, quite possibly. No, um, I'm with you. And if it's not for Steph, Clay is the best shooter in NBA history. Oh, 100%. I still believe if Clay does not get hurt in that finals, we at least go into seven. Yeah, nigga, get over it. All and right. I got it. I'm, I'm just just to, to talk about how good I think Clay is. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, he's been underrated. But let's move on. I don't on. think he's underrated. I think he's just, he was next to. Well, he's never the, made an all NBA team. Because he was next to the greatest shooter of all time in that backcourt. And then after that, he was next to. Possibly the second greatest player in the NBA currently, and then the greatest shooter of all time in that backcourt. And at the time, like a defensive player of the year in Draymond. It's hard to get those accolades when your team is that stacked, because what are we going to do? Make the all-NBA team just the Warriors starting five? (laughs) 
<laughs> they should have. Obviously, maybe with LeBron thrown in there. <laughs> <laughs> See? All right. One more. The, I got the Hornets. I'm going to move on from the Warriors now. Hornets made the right move here. They, again, got the player with the most upside in the draft. There's a little bit of box office there. You, We know LaMelo can score. He's not learned how to play defense yet, but I do think that will happen now that he's in the NBA. He has had a bit of a kind of they've cherry-picked his situations thus far. You know, it was at Chino Hills where his dad was essentially coaching the team without coaching the team. He goes to play exhibition games in what, like Lithuania? Yeah. Where was he? Somewhere over there. Somewhere in Eastern Europe. He then goes to play like 12 games in Australia. No, he went to Spire. Oh, he went to Spire Academy in Ohio first and then went to Australia. Yeah. Sorry. There's a lot of stops there. But there was. For someone who's just 18, that's a lot of kind of cherry-picked situations where everything kind of went right for you. And now, I do I think he's the most talented? Yes. But I think he has flaws we have not seen yet and has parts of his game he needs to work on. We have seen the flaws. He is lazy on defense. (laughs) He is disinterested when the ball is not in his hands. His form is so fucked up. That if Lonzo's wasn't worse, I don't know what I would call it, right? <laughs> like, when he is set and follows through, his shot is wet, but he has a tendency of kind of like playing hopscotch while he shoots the ball. It's an unconventional shot. It, it is a, that is a very nice way to put it. Uh, his feet land out ahead of his arms sometimes. <laughs> but these are all things that I think can easily be fixed, right? His Basic form isn't like Lonzo's where like it's a hundred percent fucked up in the, like the beginning of the shot and the end of the shot. His follow through is fucked up, which is much easier to fix than your entire mechanics. Right, I think they can fix his follow through, and you can. It's easier to teach someone how to play defense and how to motivate them to do that than teaching them how to shoot the basketball once they get to the NBA. I agree. He has size. Oh, he's huge. Yeah, for a guard, he has, and and by far consensus. The best passer in the draft. Oh, 100%. I do think his upside is huge. It's a great pick on him. And honestly, I hope the Charlotte Hornets don't ruin his career. I agree. So let's take a turn. I guess not NBA hell, but maybe purgatory. Uh, Talk about your hometown team, uh, the Chicago Bulls. It's not purgatory. What's your take on their, their moves in the draft? Look, I was... Shocked, to say the least, when we took Patrick Williams. And honestly, I was mostly shocked because we didn't trade down if he's who we wanted. I don't think anybody really saw him getting picked before seven. And honestly, most people saw him being picked more top 15 than anything else. So I think us picking him at four is kind of a stretch. Mm -hmm. But what I will say is, currently right now, I'm just going to trust in our front office. I'm going to trust in Arturos. I'm going to trust in Billy Donovan. And <laughs> Took you a second. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to trust that they know what they're doing. The Nuggets, where AK came from, are historically good at finding that talent in the draft that other people either are down on, let slide, or don't see yet, and then developing them to be really great, especially as of late. Arturos was there for them getting Jokic, Jamal Murray, Jeremiah Grant, uh, like the move for um, Michael Porter Jr. Did they have Nurkic there at first, too? That I'm unsure of. 
I think they had someone else that was big that left early on that became a really good player as well. And that's why I'm going to believe in it because the Nuggets, where he's come from and where he like made most of his large moves with control, I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe he looks great. He looks like he has a very high upside. I'm not going to call him a bust. I'm not going to say he shouldn't have been picked by us. I'm saying I'm just surprised that we did not trade down to get some future capital for a person that was not seen as being picked that highly. Okay. But that also leads me into the Nuggets draft. Nuggets are one of the biggest winners of the draft to me. Straight up. I think they just keep fucking finessing everybody else when they are down on somebody. Remember Michael Porter Jr. Everybody was down on him. He fell. Mm-hmm. Playing for the Nuggets. Looked fantastic deep in the playoffs. Like, he is not afraid of the moment. Got a little out of pocket a little bit there, but. Oh, I think he was right. He shouldn't have said it. No. No, but, no. But what happened when he said it? They played better. Mm-hmm, because he was right. He he went about it the wrong way, but was right about what they needed. And sometimes it takes the person that's willing to cut against the grain and be forward and out there in a way to galvanize a team or create some change. So while it was definitely out of turn and expectation, I'm not holding it against him. We also saw Bobo fell. They took Bobo, and Bobo is looking like he's going to be a great prospect as mm-hmm. well. And this draft, what happened? RJ Hampton, who was like, what, a five-star recruit, was huge name. They had his name next to or above Mello beforehand, and he did not do as well in Australia. And he slid terribly. And guess who got to pick up the gold mine yet again? The Denver Nuggets. And I think they're going to prove to us once again that they are kind of just smarter than everybody else right now and seeing things that other people aren't seeing. And more importantly, being able to take that raw talent, focus, hone, and develop it. They also got Zeke Naji, who I'm really liking for them, especially... Especially given some of like their losses on the front court. They lost Grant. He's going to be able to give them some shot blocking, some rebounding, and add another rotative piece to this team who is already really deep and got even deeper. Okay. Now, where I want to go next is back to Atlanta. So, we talked about how we'll never forget what happened with Luka and Trey Young. But they made a really great pick this year. Um, they grabbed the center. Um, let me get this name right. Let, let, let me try it. Let me try it. Let me try. It is Onekia Okungu. Onyeka Okungu. Okay. My, yeah. I'm, I'm close. You're closer. Yeah. I'm closer. I'm getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, now, consensus right now is Wiseman was the best big man in the draft. But that's because Okungu was a little raw. And I think in five years, it's a good chance he could be the best center that came out of this draft. The Hawks are putting together a really nice young core. Um, they picked up some free agent talent, like we talked about. They got Rondo. They got um, Bogdanovich, etc. They can easily be a playoff team next year in the East. And going forward, depending on what happens at the top of the East, can be a contender for the next three, four, five years. Here's why I think the pick is great for the Hawks. It doesn't make sense. That's fair. 
big jam at the front court right now. Like, think about it. They got Clint Capella off the Rockets last year. Mm-hmm. They have John Collins, who is playing fantastic and looks like he's going to be a guy for them. And then they draft Onyeka Okongwu, who plays the same position. Maybe they're going to trade one of them? Uh, look, hopefully, but I like who do you trade? Which one of them do you trade? Especially if you think you're going to make a push for the playoffs this season, which is something that they're looking like they want to do. I think he's a great pickup. I think he, I had him as my sleeper for moving up in the draft really high when we picked it. I, th- mm-hmm. I thought he might actually get to four. Granted, he got to six, but that was higher than most people had him going. I think he's going to be fantastic. I just don't like him for the Hawks currently. So I could easily see a team like the Clippers trading for Capella. Not after they got Ibaka. Mm, I think you could make it work, but you're probably right. Um, but I think there are some teams where trading for a big man like Capella makes sense. Hell, that maybe they could trade him back to Houston and finesse them again. <laughs> um, am I wrong? Because no. the Capella-Harden thing was working, and if you want to make Harden happy, maybe you say get rid of Westbrook and bring back Capella. It's possible. Not a ridiculous thing to do. You do have to get rid of Westbrook before you do that. Yes, you do. Well, damn. Would, <laughs> would you be crazy enough to send Westbrook to Atlanta? I don't think Atlanta takes him. Think they're done with that? No, I just think like he stifles Trey Young. Development, yeah. It's the same reason why I thought there was no way that the Warriors would take LaMelo Ball. It would stifle LaMelo Ball's growth to play next to Steph Curry. Yeah, because Steph's not going anywhere. His game's going to age really well. Mm-hmm. And, and Melo needs to develop. He needs the ball to develop. Exactly. That's the type. Of, he's an on-ball player. And they don't want a young dude running their offense for what they think is still a contending team right now. They also just wouldn't let him. Right. Just like, it just didn't make sense. Like, for me, I think, again, I'm going to say this right now. OKC had the best draft. Not because who they picked, because I can't ever pronounce this dude's name matters, but because they have 16 first-round picks through 2026. <laughs> I mean, and four pick swaps. These trades that they've made have been just all about collecting draft capital. Sam Presti is this decade's Danny Ainge. He's the new finesse lord. I, I will say I thought the Kings getting Tyrese Halliburton was huge. He is an amazing player with a lot of upside. High basketball IQ. They say he has amazing court vision. He can shoot the ball. And look, according to Woj, the fact that he fell all the way to the Kings is one of the main reasons they felt comfortable not matching the Atlanta offer for Bogdanovich. Okay. I get that. I have a couple more takeaways. So I think actually, surprisingly, the Wizards did a really good job picking up um, Dingy. What is it? Avdija? Something like that. Yes. Um, really great uh, backcourt player. If Wall comes back and is somewhat like himself, which all of the videos from pickup games um, during the pandemic have shown that Wall looks pretty good. The, the Wizards can have a really scary offensive team. I uh, don't think they'll play very much defense, but out in the East, they could sneak into the playoffs, um, scoring a lot of points. And if I am, for example, the Bucks, maybe I don't want to see the Wizards in the first round with that kind of firepower. 
I could be wrong. There's obviously a lot of op- a lot of ifs there, some upside, but I do like the pickup for the Wizards in the draft. I think it gives them long-term potential to develop and eventually, of course, move off of the wall contract. Can I say something real quick? And it's weird to just put this into the ether. There's usually a draft pick every year who has a lot of buzz and is really a bust. I think that's this one. And generally, that player is somebody that teams are using as a smokescreen. This dude was everybody's smokescreen. The <laughs> Warriors were like, we're really high on him. The Bulls were like, we're really high on him. Like, he was everybody's smokescreen player that they were all into. And then he fell all the way to nine. Hey, that could be good. Uh, look, it could be good, right? I'm just saying that. Usually there's a player who has a lot of buzz that's manufactured for team smoke screening their actual moves and somebody falls for the bait and takes him and feels like that's him to me right now. And this has literally nothing to do with his game. Like the tangibles on this player are fantastic. Generally foreign players are like really easy to incorporate into an Mm -hmm. offense, right? And I think that this is a team in general that is obviously going to take a big jump forward. We both excluded them off of our playoffs list for the for the East. We did, and I we might we might end up having to eat those words. Um, I think we might, and I don't have a problem with that. The East is, especially the bottom of it, is any any kind of team's game. You don't have to have a winning record. You don't have to be great. You just got to kind of sneak in, be maybe five games under. You'll make it. This is getting a little bit better. It is getting better. Um, what I will say is a team in the East who we like to, a lot of people like to hype up. They have a lot of fans um, who are possibly the most irrational fans in sports. And I know where, you know, where I'm going with this. It's the Knicks. So I thought the, <laughs> the draft pick itself is good. The player's good. I think OB Toppin. Uh, Toppin's going to be a good player. But it's like, what are they doing? Their their front court is has a jam lock. They don't know who their point guard is going to be, and they drafted somebody else for it. I'm just like, what are they doing in their backcourt? They might have just felt like they should take the best player available, not the player that fit. And I think for a team like the Knicks, to be fair, who are so fucking bad and will probably not get good anytime mm-hmm. soon, you should be taking the best talent that you see available because you don't really have anybody on your team maybe besides last year's pick is his name also rj barrett right yeah rj barrett yeah i don't know why i had rj from this draft already in my head but yeah rj barrett and like even him has not shown himself to be transcendent and irreplaceable right so i'm of the mind that when you're that bad you always take best talent available and hope that you find the player that you then want to build your franchise around. So I'm not going to fault them on it, especially because a lot of their other front court players are almost, their contracts are almost up, mm-hmm. right? They're all very short-term contracts. The thing that we have learned from the past two free, the past two free agencies is that the New York Knicks are the place to go to get a bag and then dip because they really can't attract anybody else through any other means. It's crazy, but yeah, I think they need a plan uh, besides giving out money. And I feel for Knicks fans. Um, I feel because New York is one of the best. Madison Square Garden is one of the best places to play. 
And right now, that is one of the best things for visiting teams, not the Knicks fans. So I hope they go somewhere. Uh, but, you know, it's a draft. Things change. This is our kind of initial reactions after it happened less than a week ago. Now, and in a year, in two years, in five years, we could be, you know, looking for our next Steph Curry out of the draft instead of our Ricky Rubio. Not bad. That's it's petty, just nigga. it's not bad, That's but petty nigga. You miss you miss Steph Curry. <laughs> yeah, they probably gonna end up doing that again with Melo too. I mean, we'll see. We could be wrong about a lot of these things, but we won't know for a long time. I hope in some cases we are. Welcome to the final segment of our show, the heart of our show. Baller's bouquet. Too often in the media, they only want to focus on the negative and salacious things that athletes do, and they never want to give them credit where credit is due. Here, we like to make a change. So for this week's recipient of the Baller's bouquet, I will actually say the media has almost never had anything negative to say about this young man. Actually, young man, I might be older than him. I'm not sure. I could be. You are. Damn. <laughs> Anyways, uh, this week's recipient is Patrick Mahomes, along with the Kansas City Chiefs and um, Mahomes' foundation, 15 and the Mahomes. So you may or may not have heard about this story. Um, came a- out a couple weeks ago. Um, it's about the election, of course, as all things still are in 2020. And the basic story is Mahomes kind of in a meeting with the organization, kind of spitballed an idea to have Arrowhead, the stadium they play at, be a polling location for the Missouri election. And they were like, sure, sounds great. It's a great idea. The president of the team, uh, his name is Donovan, Mark Donovan, sorry, did a lot of the heavy lifting, talked to the elections board for their area, etc. And they said, sure, it's a great idea. We'd love to have Arrowhead be a polling place, but... There's a huge six-figure problem to making that happen, and that is that we do not have the voting machines this late in the cycle to make that a polling place without taking them away from somewhere else. So Mahomes said, no problem. He stepped up to the plate. He said, we will donate the money to buy the machines so that Arrowhead can be a polling place and make voting more accessible for people all over Kansas City. The team uh, with the Chiefs and the Hunt family, who've been great, decided to match Mahomes' donation, and they went half and half on new voting machines to make Arrowhead a polling location, not just in the 2020 general election, but possibly for the next decade or so, because these machines last a while. So Mahomes is the one that let the fraudulent votes go through. Didn't Trump win Missouri? They ain't stopped counting yet. Okay, I'm pretty sure there were no cases of fraudulent votes in Missouri, and it was not even a close state. I'm pretty sure it's a very much red state. It's a, it is a very fucking red state. And even then, even though, you know, probably ideologically, I agree, I disagree with most of the people who voted there. I still think it's their right to vote. I think it is absolutely stupendous that Mahomes went out of his way to make sure that it was easier for people to vote in Kansas City. And he should obviously be rewarded for that. 
Now, some of you may have seen this story um, this past weekend. So I'm watching the pregame show for Sunday Night Football, the Chiefs at the Raiders. And they had a quick little blur about this story in the video. Mahomes is talking, etc. And he's talked about this as well in other places, but it's been kind of under the radar. So, for example, on the Huddle and Flow podcast, Mahomes said, I thought it was very important, not only just to get as many people out to vote as possible, but also to use a place as Arrowhead, where we have a lot of fun, to show a lot of love and unity where people are coming together and use that place, use it as a place where we can come together and vote and use our voice. And Mahomes is an athlete, and and if I'm being honest, I, when he first came out, did not expect him to be a vocal advocate for these kinds of things. And time and time again, Mahomes has done the right thing. And he is a hard guy not to love, even if you root against him. Um, Has a great heart. This is an example of that. His foundation is also great. You should check out 15 and the Mahomes. And I love to see the leagues, especially for the NFL, have a new set of players who are setting a positive tone in their communities, as opposed to what we have seen sometimes in the media for the NFL, the salacious the, you know, tea spilling, whatever you want to call it. He's the exact opposite of that. And we need more players like Mahomes in this league, both talent wise and for their hearts. So he is this week recipient of the Ballers Bouquet, and we will see you next week. All right, all right. I want to thank everybody for taking the time out of your days to listen to episode 11 of the Fly Route podcast. Me and Nigga Marcus want to wish you all a happy Thanksgiving. And if you're listening to this when it drops, a happy Black Friday. Hopefully, you kept your dumbasses inside, or if you went out, you put on a mask when you bopped the fuck out that little kid for the PS5. Well, I hope they're in a turkey coma. And they bought it on Amazon and they're at home. That's what we hope. Hey, do you. But if you're going out, you know, enjoy. Do a little Black Friday violence. I'm all here for it. Just call it the Black Friday purge. But, (laughs) look, people have died in the past. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. Don't do that. Don't kill anybody over a TV. It's not worth it. Yeah, we we ain't encouraging that. Absolutely not. But we do have a question for y'all. So we have seen a little bit more engagement on Instagram and a little bit uptick on Twitter, and we love it. We want to see more of it. But we want to know if you think we should be on any other social media. Should we get a Reddit going for our podcast? Should we have maybe a TikTok? Let us know on Twitter. All right. We can't wait to give you all episode 12 next Friday. We'll be dropping again.